0: We're converting
1: people one stomach at a time to what fresh food can taste like.
0: You use whatever you can use and you respect every bit of it.
2: You know, if it's in season, you use it. We need to study and we need to read and we need to know about our region and what it's doing before we can start putting things on dishes. Hello and welcome to the Quicksand Food Connection. I'm Stefan Posthumer. Today I speak with John Shelley. He is the executive chef of Cater's Restaurant at Pepper's Manor House in Sutton Forest. John's a fantastic bloke, and he's actually one of the reasons why I began this endeavor to make the Southern Highlands Cookbook. I met him at a market one day with some of the other books we've produced in the past, and he asked me if I'd ever think about doing something similar in the Southern Highlands. I'd had the idea in my mind for quite a while, and his input and involvement is what really me over the edge. Um, John makes some beautiful food. He's won plenty of awards, and the grounds and the spaces available there at Pepper's Manor House in Sutton Forest are just beautiful. I really enjoyed getting to know John, and I really hope that you enjoy my conversation with John Shelley, Executive Chef from Pepper's Manor House Cater's Restaurant. Firstly, thanks very much for contributing, John. Um, oh. You were actually one of, the, one of the tipping points in this whole publication in that I have a lot of friends in the Southern Highlands who have been saying for a while, oh, you've got to come up to the Southern Highlands and make a, one, a regional cookbook. There's so much good things happening with food up here. And then when I met you down at a markets down in Canberra, you said to me, have you ever thought about doing something similar in the Southern Highlands? And I was like, well, if, if one of the chefs from down there is interested in that sort of thing, then I've got to sort of make a go of it. So thanks for doing that. Um, yeah, and thanks for, ta- for participating.
1: Uh, that's no problem at all. Uh, look, you know, the Southern Highlands is such a beautiful place that um, it's, uh, people are really starting to find out about the Southern Highlands and there's so much to see and do down here and it is so beautiful as well because of our lovely climate we have. It mightn't be so lovely if you want to stay dry, but it's a beautiful green part of the world. Obviously, um, the accent will tell you straight away I'm Irish. But um, I think this is probably the only place in Australia I could be and never feel homesick because it, it's so green. Uh, the people are pretty much the same, fairly relaxed. Nobody's too, um, too wound up with themselves. The whole area, all the little villages, the lovely little back roads. Here we, ha- we do have to watch out for possums. Mm-hmm. Back home, or not possums, the wombats. Back home we'd be watching for cows. But um, it's, it's so like home over here, and has become my second home. Originally, I got recruited, uh, about May, uh, I think it's about nine years ago, to actually come to Manor House. And when I arrived, um, I always thought, you know, Australia, hot, got here, it was raining, and I was like, somebody's really taken the uh, proverbial mickey, PC Adamant, mickey out of me <laughs> I'm like seriously have i moved from ireland to this but you know as i'm as i live here and um as you know my uh friend base grows and grows and i'm very lucky i get to work with some marvelous people and uh you know it's a it is now i call it home yeah and it's it's so like home like out in Wang last week chatting away with the butcher uh, what you walk down the street, you bump into your uh, fruit and veg supplier. I've been out to his farm, had a look at his artichokes, put them on my menu. Loads of characters over here. The the community within the Southern Highlands, especially the food community, is so unbelievable to work with. The talent that's here, the passion that's up here, especially with our growers and um, uh, our growers and our suppliers. Because we're in a regional area, it's not always easy to get what we want, and our suppliers will pretty much bend over backwards, and almost you know kill somebody to get you what you want in your kitchen, and it's it's not always easy. But the our boys try their best, and you know you can't thank them enough. And the only way I can possibly thank them is to take the product that they give me, treat it with the utmost respect. And do justice to it and put it on a plate and don't do anything, um, don't do anything that's uh, flary or showy or tricky. Just uh, the food is honest, show it as it's supposed to be. It's fresh, it's in season, it tastes beautiful. My guys in the kitchen work very hard at getting everything as perfect as they possibly can within the confines of a busy service, but, um, the, the guys do it almost every single time, you know, we're all human, we all make a boo-boo here and there, but um, the just the culture up here when it comes to food is is amazing, and it's probably one of the things that brought me back to Australia, because I did do a while backpacking, and I got to work in kitchens, and I got to work in some great kitchens in Sydney, and I left Australia with the, um, uh, what had left of me was the level of professionalism within the kitchens. And of course, to me, some of the foods I'd never worked with before, um, and then because Australia is such a melting pot of cultures, how they were, you know, using a little influence from every part of the globe, and then seeing that on a plate and eating your way across it, it's like sitting on a plane and just flying around the world and stopping and having a little snack here and there as you go along. And it's it's been amazing, and I absolutely love doing it. Mm. Get out of bed every day, and you know I've yet to have a morning where I think to myself, oh, I don't really want to go into work today. It's, I won't say like I bounce out of bed every morning because at five o'clock you usually don't. <laughs> but um, you know you get up and you look forward to going to work. Yeah, and
2: and I guess at a place like this, Peppers Manor House, and running Caters Restaurant, there's it's a multifaceted job being executive chef here and it must it must take a lot of work and it's obviously there's there's a passion there that that keeps you going
1: oh look it's taken a lot of work i am um, i worked here previously for five years it was i was originally um headhunted and brought over as the sous chef so i i did my three years manual which i are three mandatory years that were on my visa said for initial uh, an additional two years after that and then I uh, just felt like going away and seeing another few places. And I did, um, but used to actually get on extremely well with the previous exec chef. And we always joked that um, he'd get his ideal job in the location where he wanted. And he said, sure, you you can come back here and be the executive chef. I was like, oh, no problem at all. Love the way you think. <laughs> and sure enough, I got a phone call one day saying... Um, yeah, John, uh, you need to put your resume in. I'm resigning. I'm like, well, have you told the GM yet? He goes, Yep. Uh, okay, I better put in the resume. So, <laughs> and yeah, went through the whole um, the whole screening process and interviews. And you know, today uh, Jesse shook my hand and said, "Congratulations, you have the job." I, that's definitely been one of the highlights of um, of my time over here. It's uh, this this old building and that kitchen and what we've done in that kitchen. It um there's a culture in there that you're a family. It's actually almost feels like home because you probably spend more time there than you do at home. But um there's just something about this this property itself that once it gets its, its grip on you, it's you you can't shake it's it off. Yeah, it's it's it really amazing. You can't shake it off. It's. It's like home. I would probably feel more at home here than I would in my own yeah. home house back in Ireland. So. Yeah.
2: Well, when when I when I first came here, you showed me around mm. the property. Do you want to just give us a brief, you know, the the abridged version of what 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 this property is about here at um well, the, the house.
1: The very quick version is, it is a really old homestead, and it was a farm. Over the years, it got built. Little bits and pieces got built on, so the building's 130 years plus. Uh, was owned by the Cater family, hence that's why the restaurant is called Cater's also. And uh, there's a very good history to the place, which, um, as customers come through, the information is there for them. Uh, they get to pick it up and read it. It's got a great hall as in the hall the it must be a 8 meter high ceiling inside the great hall it's amazing yeah it's it's really got a a very um i would say a scottish feel to it mm-hmm. um and just grandeur and luxury but as well as that it's so peaceful it's it is a retreat and it's a, a little spot you can come to and just relax and probably get a little bit of a surprise with you know what's on offer on the grounds themselves and from you know the different food catering that we do because we cover from weddings, conferences of course the Jewel in Our Crown is our restaurant and that's where everybody wants to work is on the restaurant side Mm -hmm. of it but um, that being said I've always been a firm believer that if if I can do 90 people in a restaurant uh, why can't I do 130 people almost up to the exact same standard on a wedding, or on a conference, I don't see that being beyond our capabilities. Mm -hmm. And (coughs) the owners have uh, just popped in a a lot of money into refurb, and they've actually turned around and given me the tools to do all this, so I'm extremely looking forward to when I get my second part of my kitchen opened, and really stretching the boundaries to bring restaurant-style food into banqueting numbers i don't think it's that difficult we've done it before and it's it's there's no reason because it's 100 people eating that the same amount of love or precision precision can't be put into it of course it can you might have to restrain yourself with going all out on your garnish but that's just a case of you know smart menu design that's all that is but um Certainly, is a, it's a joy to work here. It's great fun, mm. and the highlands themselves. You know, we're looking out the window now. I see blue sky and clouds, and you know, an hour ago it was absolutely pissing rain. Yeah. So we get the four seasons in the day, um, which is another reason why I, I never get homesick because I get all the seasons here, mm-hmm. and um, it makes it fun for us. We've got a big chef's garden out the back. Uh, mm. We're even expanding that, so we're we're getting growing tunnels to a. Things don't die, die on yeah. us in the winter because it can get cold here, but um, th- that's probably the next real exciting part is that I get to grow all our own vegetables. Mm-hmm. We'll never grow enough to keep the hotel kitchen going, but we will grow enough to that we can go out and pick fresh, and you know, fresh is best. Yeah, <clears throat> I know at home we, um, you know, everybody's starting to grow their own food. Uh, we do it here in the weirdest of places. You there's do. I
2: notice that some lettuce growing out of some, you know, pot plants and things like that along the road.
1: Tomatoes there growing underneath the lemon tree. It's uh-huh. you know wherever there's a spare inch of yeah. dirt, get something into it. And but that ties um, the
2: food, you know, the food of the of the whole estate to, you know, if you're coming up the driveway and you see tomatoes as soon as yeah. you're entering, you know, you're in for a food experience.
1: Absolutely, and it's also it's great for the the younger chefs that you know are just starting in the profession and they might not be foodies but you know they're going into this profession probably a lot of the time a little bit blind but um and have usually have a very romantic idea about it but uh, we wear that off very quickly so we do but um to get them to understand where the food comes from mm-hmm. that it's not a case you pick up the phone you say what you want and it arrives it's not quite that simple um like things we have to ca- you know be very careful on on our menus is we might want a particular ingredient but that might only have a season of three weeks so make hay while the sun shines while that's there get as much of it as you can and then we go into our pres- our preserving phase mm-hmm. where it goes into marmalades um, purees ice creams bits and pieces like that uh, I've done it with this menu I got the very last of the Jerusalem artichoke that our veg supplier actually grows on his own farm and as soon as we got it in we prepared it and then we held it and we're lucky enough we've been allowed to have the equipment to do that as well That's great. so um, we capture it at its best and then we keep it as best we can and without ever um, I suppose without ever allowing it to without changing its integrity basically Mm -hmm. and um we do have a few modern systems in the kitchen to allow us to do that but yeah you know when you can get something local it's it's so much more fun of course um that was great fun because the the veg supplier wanted x amount per kilo and it's like no this is out of your own garden mate you're only getting y per kilo and we met half ways (laughs) you know we've got a another lovely lady who lives in um broughton street in mossville there and She'll just send me a text going, "John, I have a bucket of plums," and in the next week or two, the text is going to change to, "John, I have a bucket of figs." Um, we've just met all our jams from her her latest pick. We don't have an orchard here yet, but it is on the to-do list. And um, but all local little people that have excess of stuff, and it's great that people don't waste anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, we were such a throwaway society these days it's well you know don't waste it so the wheel is going the whole way around from i remember when my grandparents would say oh you know waste not want not and it took me a while to figure out what they meant but people are coming the whole way around again and they're like there's nothing wrong with this i can't use it but maybe somebody else can and people get a bit more passionate about things i know with this particular lady the reason it bought the house is because there was a fig tree on the property anyway yeah. so as soon as the husband's seen that I don't think the price mattered after that it's like mm-hmm. i grew up with a fig tree at home i've got one here let's go and um yeah like you'll regularly pop in with figs and you know i, I get calls from um, local growers i've got this can you use it and i can't always use everything but if it is something i can use you know the answer is certainly yep yeah, bring it in mm-hmm. here we'll haggle over it and yeah. um we'll we'll get it on the menu if it's good enough that's great right. and usually once it's fresh there's never an issue with it so yeah
2: and i guess that you know having your own kitchen garden here as well and having a large group of local people who've got your number saved in their phone that they know they can call john and you've got that ability to you know if you if you hear about say figs or whatever it may be you can You can then think about the other people and and your own kitchen garden that has ingredients available to match that producer and and it gives you a lot of sort of flexibility i guess in that sense
1: absolutely and not only that you know if if somebody's um harvesting big like the the weather has been crazy last week, it was hot, wet all at the same time, lot of humidity, lots of rain, lots of heat again the growing is just amazing and I've, you know, I had somebody ring in saying, oh, can you take uh, six buckets? I'm like, I can't take six buckets. I I just wouldn't have the time to deal with six buckets. However, you've got that, here's the number of another chef, here's the number of another kitchen, give them a call or give me five minutes, I'll make a few calls and see who can take it. And the great thing is that um, there is a, a really good culture among the chefs up here that, you know, when we are walking up and down the street and we bump into each other, we're never rivals. Uh, our businesses might be rivals, but personally, we're never rivals. Mm-hmm. We're always very supportive of each other. You know, if somebody rings an award. You ring them as soon as you, you find out about it and you congratulate them. And uh, also, you know, you might be having a problem with, with a, a particular dish or a technique, and it could be a case where oh, this is, has got the better of me. I need to find someone who knows how to do this. You can YouTube and and all that, but it's never as good as... Like, I wanted to do something specific in pastry. So I picked up the phone and I rang the best guy in pastry that I know in the Highlands, which is Mark's own. And, Mark, here's my problem. Can I come over to you and you can talk me through it? He's like, no problem at all. Pop over any time. So I popped over, Mark showed me the technique, and I'm like, thank you so much for that. And vice versa, you know, if he's got a chef that's... Um, that needs to learn about a new product that we have that he's just thinking about getting. If we already have it in the kitchen, he'll come over and have a little play with it and go, yeah, I'm going to get that product or no, I'm not going to get mm-hmm. that product. It could yeah. be a product. It could be a piece of equipment. So the chef community themselves, like, they're um, so down to earth and everybody works with each other, which is absolutely great. I don't think you get that in the city. But because it's a, you know, such a small community, it's it's absolutely hilarious you know it takes you 15 minutes to walk down the street when it should only take you five yeah but you just keep bumping into people and that's yeah. great. as well as that you get to meet customers as well and they'll you know they'll stop you on the street and say oh i was in there last week for dinner it was beautiful now how did you do this and the one thing i'm never shy about is giving out recipes giving out techniques it's you know it's not um holding them to yourself it doesn't do you any good give it out to them and sometimes actually when people go home and they try it they usually end up coming back and go yeah i understand why i come to a restaurant for this because i tried this at home and my kitchen looked like a herd of monkeys went through it and wrecked the joint it's like (laughs) yeah you know it sounds fairly easy but you know three hours into it and you start wondering how badly do i really want this whereas in the kitchen we just do it on a professional level so We'll um we'll just fly through it because we're freshly trained to do these kind of things. Of but no, that's um that's about it, really. Yeah,
2: that's great, and it's it's a recurring theme with the chefs that I've talked to so far during the production of this book is the community between the chefs, um you know amongst themselves, Ooh. and then the producers and the public, and it's something that allows everyone to constantly be enthusiastic about what they do. And to, as you say, you know, you'll go over to Mark Stone's place and learn a new technique if you're struggling with something and they'll do vice versa or whatever, which is great because it shows that you're still very enthusiastic about food and... You know, you've know, you got a passion and you're still willing to learn. It's, it's not like you've, you're one of these chefs who believes that they know every trick in the book. And not that, that, that also translates into the customer's experience, which is great.
1: Yeah, I got a phone call yesterday off an old apprentice. Um, they were asking me, had I any uh, casual work? And uh, I asked, why, you know, why are you looking for the casual work? And it's like, well, where I am right now is stagnant, it's boring, I'm not learning anything. I was like, okay, what did you learn last week? She goes, nothing. I was like, well, that's crazy because twenty plus years in the business, I'm learning two or three new things a day. After a while, you 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 self-teach your thing yourself, and uh, you you notice things that other people might try to teach you, but you don't need not you don't need to be taught. The way you see things happening, you you're seeing and understanding what's happening right in front of you. Yeah. So. You kind of put that in the memory store. Oh, that's what happens yeah, you've when you've got the fundamentals. Yeah, when you do that, <laughs> as we've always said to our apprentices um, before you break all the rules of cooking, you have to learn all the rules of cooking. And I will certainly do things in the kitchen, and the, the apprentice's jaws will drop going, If I did that, you know, he'd take me aside and um, probably have a stern talking to me, but he's doing it himself. And I'll see that on their face and I'll call them over and I'll say, right, you're looking at me doing what I'm telling you not to do? And it's like, yeah. The reason I can do this is I I know what's happening within the pot when I'm doing this. You don't. So I know the rules and I know at what point I can break a rule. And I know how to break that rule and still have a success at the end of it. Whereas right now you don't understand what's happening in your frying pan. Uh, so you're just going to have to follow the rules until you understand exactly what's happening there uh One of the things that they were very heavy with with us in um in our culinary training in college, we spent forty percent of our time doing food theory, mm-hmm. so that was the science of the food and um that that I find has really stood to us as we went along in our careers. You know, you knew at a look whether something was gonna work or not, that you've you've over beaten the shoe pastry, it's gone too shiny, so that's just not gonna puff up. Um your nose as well, you'll walk through and you'll walk through the kitchen and you go, You've burnt the garlic in the pan, chef, throw it out, start again. And the answer might be, but it's not even brown. It's like, No, but I can smell it. You've burnt it, yeah. start again.
2: Speaking of breaking rules and doing things a bit differently i guess when you come to a place like manor house um you're not necessarily expecting to be you know find things on the menu like you've presented us today things that sort of do things a bit different um so just talking about what we shot today for the book um the first dish that you gave us was as I told you, it was like a real progression of flavors and something definitely a bit different that a lot of people might not have had before. Um, the capsicum soup dish. Do you want to run us through that? Explain a bit about that dish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, soup dishes in a lot of places are they're um, they're starting to get a bit more exciting, but the soup was usually the most boring thing on the menu, and. Um, <clears throat> Always there for whoever wanted to play it safe. So rather than have a, a safe, uh, safe dish, you know, it's a dish has to compete to find its spot on a menu here in the kitchen. So if we're going to put a soup on, it's got to have a good few elements to it, different textures and different temperatures. Which sounds really odd. Um, everybody knows soup is a, you know, mostly a piping hot wet dish, and you have it with bread or that. So. We said we'd um, we'd look at it in a different way. It's like, so a soup is a liquid. So let's make a really tasty liquid. And one of the chefs was, well, I like you know sweet bell pepper soup. And I was like, well, if you make me a sweet bell pepper soup that I like, it can go on the menu. So she met me the sweet bell pepper soup, and I was like, I like that. So what are you going to put with it? And she's like, I don't know. I was like, okay, fair enough. Well, I'll tell you what you're going to put with it. It's really sweet as in as savory goes it's quite sweet so sweet will work with heat as well so rather than putting a a chili in let's let's put a chocolate chili um you'll have a a complete different contrast and of course as soon as i mentioned chocolate the the look was like are you insane chef and it's like no not really that (laughs) insane maybe a little bit but um you know, up until a hundred years ago, chocolate was a savory and if you've done any South American cooking you'll know that they use chocolate in their sauces a lot and um <clears throat> so we said we'll we'll do the the chocolate panna cotta and um we'll put the chili in it so that'll give a richness to the soup as well. So we did that, and, and um she tasted it and went why would we, you know that that works and I was like good now what else are we going to do to the soup and again it was another look on like are you insane there's more i'm like yep so now what about a sorbet in the soup and like, how can you put a you know a freezing cold sorbet into a hot soup and i was like well why can't you you know it's been done many many times before of course it'll melt but you know when we were growing up through the hotel's one of the famous things in our soup was a, a dollop of cream into the soup and the customer would stir it in themselves to turn whatever soup into a cream soup and um we talked about um what what kind of flavors we'd like in the sorbet and uh, i just said well what about a, a goat's cheese sorbet and again the look kind of chemists like uh how, what do you mean a, a savory sorbet like, yeah, and we'll make it load of cheese as well while we're at it. And it's like okay, you're gonna have to show me this chef, so we uh went through my old recipe book and pulled it out and we made it and um like just even when she looked at the list of ingredients in it and there, there is only four ingredients and it's you know, it's water, uh glucose, goats cheese and um uh geez actually, what is the rest of it? It's yeah, water, goats, cheese, um, glycerin or any kind of a, a glucose base. Um actually maybe there's only three ingredients in it. <laughs> but uh yeah, we um we put it together and told her to pop it in the fridge and then turn it afterwards. Let it get you know let the fats kinda come down nice and gentle. So we turned it anyway and um First time uh, first time she tasted it, she's like, oh, it's really sweet. And before she got any further, she's like, oh, wow, the ghost cheese just hits you all of a sudden. I'm like, yeah. So if you can imagine eating the dish, so you imagine that you, on your spoon you, you take some of the soup, a little bit of the chocolate chili, which has a bit of heat in it, and part of the uh, sorbet, and pop that in your mouth, and like the sorbet will add a little bit of freshness to it. It'll also... Um, very quickly uh, counteract the chili that's in the chocolate. The chocolate will be bitter because we're we're not using, we are using a bitter chocolate, we're not using a sweet chocolate. And the sweet bell pepper itself is a sweet product. So when you pop all those flavors together into your mouth, let's see what the, what the end result is. So two of us sat down and had a bowl of soup each and, you know, grinning across the, the pass at each other going, yep. Yeah, that's good, I like yeah. that. And we're like, yep, we'll keep that. And I was like, now just find two or three other little things to add another few bits and pieces of texture. Mm-hmm. So little pomegranates for encapsulated flavor, the way when you crack it with your tooth, you just get this sudden shot of pomegranate, mm-hmm. and then it disappears again. And it'll only reappear when you get another little pomegranate. So, you know, it's a strict, you know, don't put any more than five pomegranates in it because it's a pepper soup, it's not a poppet. Pomegranate soup. Yeah, so. it's delicious. Yeah.
2: I, I was fortunate enough to eat it after we, after we shot it. And yeah, I mean, the first thing that you notice is such a um, distinct progression from the sweetness of the peppers, and then you know that sharpness of a bit of goat's cheese with Ooh. some sweetness involved as well. Um, there's some nice black salt on there too, and then and then you finally get that sort of richness, bit of bitterness, and the heat from the chocolate and it's it's a it's a it it takes a while to progress in your mouth you know it's not like you can have a quick spoonful of it down it and it's over that for a small entree size soup it it seems to me like something where you'd sort of have one bite you probably sit there and think for a couple of minutes and 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 wait a little bit more before you have your next one because there's a lot going on and it definitely works
1: yeah and that's what makes it um that's what makes it fun when you uh when you produce something like that and when those elements are there the customer then gets to um, change uh, I won't say change the flavour of the soup but change their experience of every mouthful by trying it with either a little bit more um, sorbet or I'll have a little bit more soup on a spoon this time or I'll have a little bit more chocolate mm-hmm. chilli on it this time and almost no two spoons are ever the same Yeah. and it, it certainly is one of those things where when you have it swallowed, your mind starts kind of kicking into gear going, oh, what's this flavor? And as soon as you've figured it out, another flavor hits you. And it's like, how how does this work where you're getting three and four different flavors distinctively amongst each other, not amongst each other, but in the same mouthful? And it's it's almost, you know, it's the same as you eat a main. You get to taste every little, single little thing that's on the dish but this is a soup so it's a little bit hard to do it in a soup but i think we've um we've definitely found how to do it with this particular mm. soup and you know uh very fit in my um the first um a la carte menu that i've i've launched here as the executive chef and you know first dish on the um on the menu is you know pepper soup at Pepper's Manor House, yeah, so, definitely you know, all fits together nicely. Yeah, um, a little bit of fun in there. That's great, and I mean the
2: second dish. After uh, the first thing I said to you, to you, obviously, first thing is you see you, you, you see the dish, very visual, lots of colour going on there. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about the the pressed veal cheeks? Yeah,
1: absolutely, no problem at all. Um, I I chose veal cheeks over over beef cheeks as um, you know the veal is younger animal so. Uh, beef cheeks themselves can be a little bit um, overpowering, a little bit gelatinous. And people that don't like meats that are slow-cooked tend to shy away from them. Whereas when it's a veal dish, they're probably a little bit more inclined to, oh, I, I'll give it a shot. Like So yeah. we we don't really have to push the sell on that one; it sells, sells itself, really. Um, and then the, the dish itself, the component of it... Um, when you read the menu, I think it, there's only four things listed, and it's the uh, veal cheek, which we cook for 24 hours sous vide, so that is absolutely beautiful by the time we're finished with it. Um, then uh, makraba, which I was, which was introduced to me by um, my veg grower actually, and it's it's an Israeli couscous, but it is the proper Israeli couscous. Mm-hmm. It's really large, really good fun to cook and um, with that then is turlu turlu which is basically it's uh, like you know, ratatouille almost on steroids because there's you can do them up to 12 different vegetables but um, I, I've always enjoyed doing uh, turlu turlu as a dish I'm not a vegetarian but I don't eat meat everyday and there's some things I'll just walk past and as soon as I see it I want it and turlu turlu is definitely one of those uh, vegetable dishes. So, like the the list of ingredients in it is it it's three different colored capsicums, two different colored zucchinis, eggplant, um, then potato, carrot, parsnip, a little bit of garlic, and then because it's it originates in Turkey, um, and cumin is one of the spices that that grows in that uh, region a little bit of roast cumin a little bit of roast coriander seed and just a pinch of allspice and every time i've ever done this dish when i'm cooking it the colors are so vibrant yellow green red purple um and then we just kind of bring it together with a a nice little light tomato sauce but i remember growing up reading comics you've always seen that little glass jar of sweets all the different colors and you knew it was only a jar of sweets, but all the colors, you just wanted to eat it. It was so appetizing. And I was like, that's that's what I want from this dish. So certainly not a meat and two veg, it's about meat and 10 vegetables. <laughs> but um, it's it's really good fun to do. Um, great for the apprentices, because they get to practice their knife skills, dicing down all these things. Definitely, But um, it's one of those things that you just do it. And when it comes out of the oven... You know, we taste everything to correct the seasoning. Um, that one, we well, I know when I'm checking the seasoning on that, I check it a bowl at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's like okay, I'll have a little bowl of it because I really do like this, <laughs> and it's like yeah, well, I think I might need a little bit more pepper, and you know, I might never go near the pepper again, but I'll certainly go back and get a second yeah, bowl. Yeah, beautiful. And there are these things that when they come out of the ovens. You know, the biggest challenge is to keep all the chefs away from it to stop them eating it. It's a bit like that when we do our chocolate cookies. We do a rack up the back to cool them. uh, We basically write off the top three trays. So many people pass through the kitchen, (laughs) and you just see them, and they smile at you, and you can see you're chewing one of my cookies, aren't you? (laughs) But the turdu turdu does that for us as well. It's, It's one of those savory things that every time it comes out of the oven, whatever chefs are on in the kitchen. Uh, Do you want me to check the seasoning? Like, uh-huh. Yeah, go for it. And like, there goes another bowl. So a bit like in France, where if, if you go to the Boulanger and you're going to buy a baguette, you buy two because you eat one on the way home. Very true. When we were doing our thirty um, turdy vegetable dish, we will cook twice as much as we actually need because every single chef is going to just stand there with a bowl just eating vegetables. And I think to to get chefs excited about vegetables that way, is um, it's not just a must, but it's very um, pleasing at uh, satisfying at the end of the day. When, yep. especially when you look at the younger chefs, and you go like, you know, I'm sure when they were chopping all this up, they didn't think it was going to be nice. But now it's come out of the oven. The smells, the color, the aroma, and watch them get into it. You know, I think right now at this moment, if you put a steak down beside them, they will probably shove the steak away because they're getting yeah. into their vegetables.
2: And uh, like, I mean, for the purposes yeah. of the book as well, I think Turlu Turlu is a great, you know, little weapon to have in your arsenal in the kitchen as well, just as, as something that you can put with some couscous or some rice or or whatever, you know, you don't have to necessarily press press be- um, veal cheeks. No. You can just make that and have that alongside whatever, if, you know, you normally would.
1: Yeah, that's one of these uh, dishes that if, if you have it in your arsenal, you know, you've got the makings of it's actually it's going to appear on our casual um dining menu as a a dozen vegetable moussaka Mm -hmm. so because it's all already there once you have it in your arsenal it can go into moussaka uh, lasagna actually staff did have it today as as part of the staff lunch so it was just done with penne pasta and um you know really healthy and you know it's a challenge sometimes to get younger people to eat vegetables, especially kids. But you know, this has always the colours I'll always think every time I look at it, I'll always think of jars of sweets and little comic books when I was yeah. a kid going I know it's not real but it looks so good. Yeah. But this is great, it is real and it does look so good. And it's just so enjoyable to eat. Yeah. And um you know, when you're serving a heavy not so much a heavy but a sticky gelatinous Meat that's been cooked for for a long time—they tend to be very rich. So the vegetables on it, they just—they lighten it up with every dish or every say mouthful that you take. And it's one of those little stars that just—it—it it helps break down the the meats within your body as well because you don't. Um, even though the the veal is supposed to be the um, the veal is supposed to be the star of the dish, it's competing with vegetables yeah. which is really good thing to have on a dish whereas you know you don't want a dish where it's shove half of it to one side because I'm not interested in mm-hmm. it whereas uh, this one you just want to eat your whole way across the plate so yeah. you do and um, the the mokrabah is a it's just our starch element on the on the dish but I it, love it it's lovely because it's beautiful texture yeah, it's fun it's half centimeter size spheres yeah. whereas the turlu turlu is. Half centimeter size dices. So you've got, you've got different shapes, different textures, and then within the turley turley, every vegetable has a different texture as well. So you know, it's it's one of those things where we don't have to look to add more things for texture. It's already within the dish. We don't need to muck around with it. It's it's a very good honest dish, and it eats well, and it sells itself in our restaurant. So once we can. Uh, give them the understanding of what turdu teru is. Once they understand what it is, I've never had anybody say I didn't like that. Yeah, of course. So yeah, but fantastic. No, it's it's brilliant.
2: Great, um, John. You're doing some great things with food out here. You've you know you've got some great accolades too, and um, it's such a beautiful spot, and it sits so well within this area of the Southern Highlands. Great food community around you, as you say, and um yeah just want to say thanks so much for you know tipping me over the edge in the production process for this book and giving us these beautiful dishes to shoot today and being being a part of this great community of food up here in the highlands thank you so much for tuning into the podcast I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Shelley from Cater's Restaurant at Pepper's Manor House in Sutton Forest. He's a great bloke, and I really enjoyed getting to know him. Um, If you want to find out any more about Cater's Restaurant, you can visit them online at peppers.com.au slash manorhouse slash dining. Uh, you can find all their information there. If you want information about Quicksand Food, you can find us at quicksandfood.com. You can also see us on Facebook or Instagram. We are at quicksandfood. And if you want any more of these Southern Highlands cookbook podcasts, you can download them all for free on our website, which is quicksandfood.com. Hope you enjoyed this conversation and we'll see you next time.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?